Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 83, and I'm your host, Madeline Moon. I just wrapped up this episode with Hannah Beer, and it was so good. So good. Good doesn't even describe it. It was wonderful. Hannah's a mentor, master class, certified life coach, and emotional healing specialist, helping gifted creatives get out of their own way by healing their emotions so that they can realize their big visions in the world while having fun and loving life. You'll hear a little bit more about Hannah um, in the intro of this podcast, so I'll save that for then. But just so you know, we definitely talk about some adult topics in this episode. Hannah's gone through so much in her life, and we dive deep into all of it. There's also some language, so if you are around some children, you may want to put in some headphones and get ready for this very insightful, beautiful conversation. Before we head over, here is the review of the week. This one comes from cheesy with a purpose and he slash she says uplifting and real with five stars forget fitspiration maddie's podcast is real inspiration all about getting your head in the right space which allows your body to thrive and that is the gateway to living your purpose thank you so much for that wonderful review so glad you enjoy the podcast and now let's see any more any more updates any more updates nope i don't think so yeah let's go head on over to the show Welcome to the Mind Body Musings Podcast, the show for everyone and anyone that is ready to break free from the dogmatic chains of the health and fitness industry and create their own life free from restrictions. Now, introducing your host, Madeline Moon, a former fitness model gone sane and the author of the popular self-love book, The Perfection Myth. If you dig the show and you're looking for more insight on how to stop food and exercise from controlling your life, check out her website, maddiemoon.com, and grab your free guide. If you're ready to end dieting once and for all, it's time you learn how to pursue real health instead. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome everyone back to the show for episode 83. We're here with Hannah Beer, and I'm so excited to get started talking with her. She's got great insight into so many different areas. She is the founder of Free Spirit Life Coaching and has been featured in various publications like the Elephant Journal, Over the Moon Magazine, and The Numinous. Uh, whenever she's not coaching, you can find her dangling from trees and going on adventures, which I think is so awesome. Welcome to the show, Hannah. Hi, Maddie. I'm so happy to be here. So why don't we go ahead and get started? Like, go ahead and dive deep into your background. Tell us about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so let's start with where I am today because I feel like that's really important so that you can understand my journey. So I'm a life coach, and I'm a life coach for creatives and artists. I help people heal their emotions Um, My focus is on really, really deep, deep healing. I work a lot with the nervous system, with our brain, with um, traumas, childhood experiences, fears, with all of that icky stuff that we all kind of want to ignore a lot of the time. And I help people really heal so that they can bring the very best work to the world. So... I grew up as a pretty dissatisfied child. So my first childhood memory is um, thinking that I should be able to fly. So I've always been very um, sensitive to the point of being a little bit psychic, even though I'm not woo-woo in that sense, but like I see chakras and energy fields. And as a child, I was so sensitive that I thought that I should be able to fly. And I thought that I should be able to do things like shape shift and, you know, just do weird things. I, I saw ghosts and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and in a way, I felt like I was so different from everybody else. I was very intelligent, very, um, very good in school. I was a singer, a dancer, an actress. I was very successful. But 
I also was suicidal and I also had an eating disorder and I also didn't have a home and I also didn't have any money. I started working at 11 years old because I didn't have any stability in my life. And um, so there was this huge conflict between my potential and my talents and my dreams and the things that I wanted to do. And, and all the places in myself where I felt completely alone and sad and scattered. And so my journey was all about figuring out how to really heal myself and then how to make massive moves. So, and I feel like the two go hand in hand. So every time we heal a part of ourselves, I believe that there is power being set free. Sometimes it shows up as, en- as enthusiasm or as an idea or as a burst of creativity or as a job interview that goes exceptionally well for you. So every time that we heal a part of ourselves, we can somehow also advance our lives. So that's what I thought was just so interesting and what I wanted to learn all about. And my journey pretty much began, so my life coaching journey began when I started college. So I kind of made it um, through high school feeling like shit, weighing like hardly anything. I was so thin, just pale, hardly even living. I tried killing myself so many times. It never really worked. I did not want to live. But then somehow I made it through high school and I enrolled in fashion school. I wanted to become a fashion manager. And I moved into my first apartment where I really felt at home. And I started diving into yoga and nutrition and I started meditating and I started getting those um, intuitive hits again. And all I did was meditate. Like I didn't really do any practical things outside of my life. Like I went to the classes and stuff, but I didn't actually design my life. But still so much shifted. Like I got opportunities and people started coming up to me at parties asking me, wow, your vibe is amazing. And just I wasn't even doing anything and everything shifted. And that was when I first stumbled upon the idea that our inner life is directly related to our outer life and how the two need to go hand in hand. And when I um, started training as a life coach, I saw so many people either focusing on the logistics of designing a life that you truly love that fits you perfectly or on emotional and spiritual deep, deep healing. And so for me, it was all about integrating the two. And on that journey, I kind of experienced a funny thing. It was really curious. So I had an eating disorder for so many years, so many years. And all of a sudden, like, it seemed like it was healed, but I wound up an alcoholic. And that was like another point for me where I, yeah, where I had to really look at my life and just think about how it's all connected. And now I see how sometimes we just replace addictions and we just replace things. We replace goals and addictions and dreams and habits without really healing what's underneath it. And that's what really makes me jump out of bed in the morning to help people heal really, really deeply and to help them see the magic that can be life. Wow, that was such a beautiful story. Like you, first of all, you have a great way of telling it. You're a very calm speaker, but also very passionate. So thank you for sharing so much with us. I know that a lot of the things you're saying can probably resonate with a lot of people that have felt that they were here on this earth to do something great, but had cards dealt to them that weren't optimal, you know? And so thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that with us. Um, you had told me before that your eating disorder helped keep you alive and it helped you nav- navigate the most traumatic times of your life. And I fully can't seem to wrap my mind around this and how 
you can feel like it helped you to, to navigate these moments in your life. Can you tell us more about that? Oh, yeah. So I was anorexic and I think it started when I was nine. I remember I was um, at the school cafeteria and I was writing a meal plan for myself and it consisted of um, cucumber slices and tomatoes. And that was my first meal plan. <laughs> and um, when you were nine, is that what you said? When I was nine, wow. nine years old. And so my life has been, I feel like I was born into a life that was already out of control. Like it didn't happen. There was not, there was not one big moment that made it all like implode. It was like even before I was born, like my life was difficult and I was, um, so as a child, I never really knew what home was or what family meant. And, um, even as a young girl, I, I was subject to abuse and I was struggling with a, with a, with an anxiety disorder. And it's really hard to tell this story. Um, and things were really, really hard for me. I was all alone, and it's hard to grow up when you're all alone. I've been, like, I felt like an orphan, and, like, it was hard for me, and it felt like everything was out of control. Like, there was nobody helping me, and there were adults who were, you know, doing funny things to my body, and I didn't like it, and it was weird, and I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know how to, you know create safety and in a way it wasn't my job to know that but that was what I needed I needed safety I needed roots I needed you know the ground beneath my feet and I didn't have that I was completely like my life was a mess right from the very start and so I felt like my so I felt like when I started school I was um kind of starting to be in control of things like I could control my grades okay I could control my eating okay I could control my body right so I heard that if you're really skinny and if you're really nice and you're really pretty people like you better and life gets easier awesome I wanted my life to get easier great I'm gonna jump on that train so I really um just wanted control and safety in my life and I didn't know how to create it. I was, um, I felt like a victim to all of the adults around me and I felt like I couldn't really create anything myself. I couldn't call any shots and I was so young at that, at that age. And so, so food was one of the first ways for me to feel in control in a way feel like oh there's something predictable there's something and it's weird but that was how I was trying to satisfy that need for safety and also there were so many traumatic things happening in my life so many things I needed to get away from and being hungry was actually not such a bad feeling compared to those compared to the trauma that I had to experience like a little like hunger actually felt like being alive. It actually made me feel my body. It made me feel like I was in touch with something. It made me feel like I could control something. And and also, I'm sure you can relate to that. It's like when we're having an eating, our entire universe is all about that. So my focus was only on the food and it helped me completely drown out all the other traumatics that were happening I was totally focused on my food totally focused on the calories on the cucumber slices and tomatoes and on um, you know planning to lose even more weight and you know looking at myself in the mirror at night and still thinking I was fat and like that really got my mind off things Right. Yeah. Jeez. And so today, how do you feel like your relationship with adults has changed? Are you still working through that at all? Or have you come to find that relationships with adults have blossomed as your you know, personal development has? Mm -hmm. 
Oh, it's funny because when I think about adults, I see children who are really, who are like wrapped in more flesh. <laughs> it's like, it's little children with more responsibility in a way sometimes. So I don't really do age anymore. So one of the big shifts for me was to not buy into the idea of age, as in I see humans and I really focus on seeing humans. I don't see the elder, elderly or I don't see um, a college professor or my grandfather. I see humans. I don't see um, their ages as much anymore. And so for me, a big part of my healing journey was recognizing that the other person is me. And that was so hard because I felt like I had such a hard time and like everything was was so hard for me and everybody else had so much luck compared to me and I didn't know why. I couldn't understand why everything had to be so painful. And still, um, my relationships to humans in general, no matter their age or social status, really improved when I when I got to look underneath the facades, like when I understood, okay, like there is an inner child tantrum or, okay, there is a human who wants that, who wants to be seen or, all right, this mother doesn't know how to deal with the situation. And, you know, to really see humans and to not see like authority and, you know, like all these statuses Mm -hmm. that really didn't help. And, So I was a huge babysitter throughout high school and people always came up to me and said, oh my God, the way you are with children. And I feel like what helps me connect with kids so much is that I see them as humans and I don't really care about their age. They're full humans. Like they get to decide about their bodies. They get to tell me how they want to feel. Like they get to to really be seen as kids, like to not be, like I want everybody's emotions and feelings and opinions and thoughts to matter no matter how old they are or no matter how, what good status they have. And I see the same happening with the elderly sometimes when you think about an older woman and people say, well, she's not really getting it or she's too old to get it or she's just old. This is why she says that. It's kind of in a way also, um, you know, undermining their personal like opinion. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's a good word, but everybody should have a voice. And so compassion is big. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you brought that topic up of especially children and elderly as well. But I have this friend and he also has a podcast and he was really big on like politics and everything. Just like what's wrong with the government and all this stuff. But one of the things he really promotes a lot is treating children as humans and he was on my show once if anyone wants to check it out his name's Kevin Geary um he was on my show and he we're talking about children and the psychology of of children and like raising a a child to be confident and um you know what being a, a strong person really means and how to cultivate that as parents and I watch a lot of the videos that he shares on his Facebook page and and he'll show he points out a lot of videos of kids and parents laughing at children because they're crying so much because they're saying you know stupid things because they're getting a shot and they're freaking out and it's like these viral videos and I never I I never would have realized this unless he had pointed it out I'm sad to say but it's true these viral videos when you watch like this hysterical you know in quotation marks video about a child crying because he's scared of going down a, a a a slide and the parents being like you have to do it you have to do it and like everyone's laughing and the kids like terrified and then finally he goes down and everything's okay but you know videos like this can get so big and so popular but what we don't realize is that we're creating this fear in these children and it's not a healthy kind of fear it's not a good kind of fear as in face your fears it'll make you stronger 
It's like, you're not in a safe place. We're creating this fear for you and you're not really in a safe place because we're going to make you like go through it and we're going to laugh at you at the same time. So these like very uh, popular trends, I guess, of recording children when they're in pain and when they're crying, it's so opposite of how we would treat our friends and, and, you know, people of our own age, our peers, if they were crying and they didn't want to do something, we would probably comfort them and, and ask them how we can help. But that's not really what we do with kids. And so I'm glad you pointed that out. I just thought that was something to elaborate on. Oh, I love what you just said. And I heard someone say that it's just as tasteless to publish pictures of your child sleeping. Because that is an invasion of privacy as well. And I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's very true. So on another note, um, I'm curious about you know the addictions that you have gone through and how you transferred that one energy that wasn't really healed, your eating disorder, over to alcoholism. Did that happen very subtly or was it a pretty obvious transition? Hmm. I'm going to have to think about that because I remember um, I had vodka for the first time at 12 years old and I was drunk. Um, So I've always been very comfortable around booze. And um, yeah, so I think a good point point where we can start is when I moved away. I moved towns and I went to fashion school. And so I got into nutrition and I got into healing my body because my adrenals were fucked, like from all the fear hormones, like that in itself, like completely, completely fucked up my system. I, I think I got my first period at 13 years old and then my second at 22 Um, And I'm just happy my body is functioning because, like, that is just incredible. Like, how awesome are our bodies that my body even remembers that there is a thing like periods and, like, ovulation just blows my mind because I was not nice to her and she's still here supporting me. Like, that just – that gives me goosebumps because it's so easy to forget that. So, anyway, like, I got into – nutrition and I got turned vegan and I started healing my body with food and um, I felt like I had to hold on again like I had to be very rigid with my eating and with my yoga and with my schedule and with my sleeping like I had to be always be on alert always hold on always make sure that I'm not missing anything to always have my eyes out my eyes open and to be on the lookout for um danger, you know, that was just the way my nervous system was working. I was always, always on, um, fight or flight mode. Um, yeah. So, but at least I started eating again. Like that was, was a good thing, but I was very, very strict with myself. And so the booze, um, kicked in and I met a couple of really amazing people, Um, I thought they were just the best people in the world back then, like artists and, and web designers and really creative people, but they were all on drugs. Like they were all smoking weed, like crazy, drinking like crazy, like doing all kinds of synthetic drugs. But, you know, I liked their art and I needed some adventure. Like there I was completely holding on to my life that I felt I felt like for the first time I had a little bit of security and stability and I did not want to let that go so I was very very strict with myself and then at the same time I had this craving for freedom like for something bigger I wanted to express myself I wanted to do things with my life and so um so I went to all those parties and like sometimes I was out partying for four days and then sick for two weeks because my body just couldn't handle all the booze and all the drugs. And then I would have to detox my system and get it all out of me and then go to class and then drink again. And in a way, again, I was satisfying a basic human need of mine. So with my eating disorder, I was satisfying the need for safety, for stability, 
Um, and with the booze, I was wanting freedom. I wanted to feel a connection and love and to be open to let people in and to not be so closed off, to not just live in my own little universe, but to actually be out in the world. I wanted to live that spark of life. Like that was re reflected in my drinking and it completely went overboard because I did not know what it felt like to live a normal life. I did not know what balance was. I I had no example of that. I had never experienced that. And, you know, so I was just drinking and parting it up for so long and things got really bad. I completely lost control over myself and over my life while I was drinking. And then I was trying to really get it back together um, through my eating. And so... Like, my eating got better and better and better, and my drinking got worse and worse and worse, and I had to quit, and I did. And then I moved to Bali because I was just so sick of all the addiction. I was so sick of not knowing what balance was, of always needing to hold on so tightly, of always living in extremes because I didn't know what, what the in-between was. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that move to Bali helped you greatly to break away from alcohol? Yeah. Yeah. All the triggers were gone. Yeah. And also, um, I started drinking. So there was a really, really bad, like I got roofied at a party and I woke up somewhere with people I, I didn't know, like in a bed I didn't know in a part of town I've never seen before. And I woke up and I was like, okay, you said you were going to live. Because um, after I, I stopped trying to actively like end my life, I, I really honestly chose that I wanted to try this. I wanted to try to live. I wanted to learn to live. I wanted to learn how to build a life that feels good. How, like, how life works. I really wanted to figure that out. And so, um, like, at five in the morning, still on drugs, I was running through town barefoot. It was in the middle of winter, and it was such a crazy moment for me because I remember that vow I made. I promised myself that I would try to live. And here I was again, completely just not honoring my safety at all. And I was hanging out with all these people and it just wasn't aligned with me, with what I wanted at all anymore. And so I got away from the people. I got away from the booze. I moved to Bali and I started practicing Ashtanga yoga. And I started meditating again. And most of all, I realized that we can't run away from our problems. I got away from the triggers. But unless I really started healing myself, my, my unmet needs and desires would just manifest in another addiction. And I did not want to try a third addiction. So in Bali, I noticed just how messed up I still was on the inside. And I truly devoted myself to healing, like to really devoting myself to my yoga practice, not in terms of how many times a week I went, but how, how I used it. Like, did I use it with compassion or did I use it to, um, you know, get six pack abs and the same with my food. Like I really wanted to enjoy the food and like, these were the things I started focusing on to really learn to feel good and to heal emotionally without being overly attached to what that would look like on the outside. But it was still hard because, like I said, I had to realize that it's not all shits and giggles. You can't just move to an island and expect to be free from everything that, that was going on at home or, like, where you came from. So, yeah. I realized that and that was huge 
and it shattered me because I thought that moving away was going to solve so many of my problems and it didn't. It helped me with quitting drinking, but it amplified a lot of other things. Wow. Yeah, that's very powerful. And I don't know if you know this part of my my story, my background, but I did something kind of similar when I was in the fitness industry and I felt so chained to that label when I lived in Austin, Texas, and I decided just to pick up and leave. Like I didn't tell anyone. I moved within like 48 hours of making that decision, but I just picked up left stuff outside of my apartment and hit the road and just left. And for me, you know, I like to tell people it wasn't that I was running away from my problems. It was that I needed to get rid of my triggers. It's very true. Like I just felt triggered with the same people and the same places and the stories and the memories. And it just wasn't healthy for me. So getting away was so, so great and so helpful. But once I got to Colorado is when the real healing had to begin that's when I had to start to make those decisions of, okay, I can introduce myself as Madeline, the uh, fitness competitor and the the health coach, or I can just introduce myself as Madeline and not have to feel like I have to automatically put those labels on me. And then every time I'd sit down to food, I would say, okay, do I want to get rid of this story of I'm the the clean eater, I'm the bodybuilder, I'm this and that, I'm I'm the one with self-discipline, or... Do I want to just sit down to this meal, be present in it, eat it mindfully and enjoy every bite? Because that's ultimately the goal for me. So I had to make those big girl decisions every single day. And in those decisions is when the healing started to take place. Moving helped so much, but being able to make those conscious efforts every day to start over, start fresh and take advantage of that opportunity I was given. Um, that was really, really great for me. So how about today then? So, you know, those getting rid of the, uh, actually, before we fast forward all the way to today, what other things did you do for those addictions to be gone for good? So focusing on, on enjoying food and, um, really diving deeper into your practice in a healthy way, doing it for fun, for pleasure, not for physical aesthetics. What are the things that you learned to do to, to process your emotions and to keep moving forward? Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the most profound things that I learned was that things can shift and truly heal and be healed for good when we try to fix. And that is the big paradox. In order to change, we need to embrace. We need to not need it to be any other way. So it it came up in my life in so many ways. Like I felt like there was so much wrong with me, like my money story and I had, you know, stability issues and safety issues and like food was still, you know, not easy for me. And it was so easy to just go on the internet and, you know, search, you know, for all kinds of tools and resources and stuff. And it's awesome that all of that is available. But in order to really, truly change something, you have to embrace it. You have to be okay with it. And you have to just lean into the discomfort. And so I feel like that is the biggest, biggest thing. If we can just be okay with the way things are, suddenly they start shifting and it's magic. I don't know why or how that happens. So as an example, right now I'm working on my money mindset a lot. Um, When you're running a business, I feel like so much comes up and I didn't even know just how much (laughs) would come up. And so I'm constantly working on my money mindset. And it's so easy to be like, everybody's further ahead by you. You should be making this amount of money or that's their business model or you should be offering this. You should be offering that. And like it's so much self-pressure and so much self talk and so much self-criticism and with all that mind chatter and all this you know I need to fix that I need to fix this like this is wrong that is wrong um everybody's doing this everybody's doing that with all of that chatter and all that noise it's so hard to find out what you really need because it's just so noisy and for me every time I 
I feel like something needs to change or something needs to heal, I try and embrace it first. I try not to fix it. I try not to use any tools on me. I try to just acknowledge that that is the way it is and that it's just perfect that way, that I'm still here in this moment breathing. Do you seem to rely on trust and on faith that it will work itself out on its own in the time it's supposed to? Not necessarily. So in a way, yes. I feel like we can... um, Okay, let's see how I want to say this. Okay, so in a way, I feel like it is going to figure itself out over time. Because if there's really an area of our life that does not work at all, we're going to bump into obstacles all the time. And it's only a matter of time until we bump through an obstacle or until we have a breakdown that actually turns out to be a breakthrough. So, yeah, in a way, yes. And what what's also interesting is that if we can embrace where we are and really be okay with the way things are we start to see opportunities because we're not in that narrow mindset of oh god i gotta fix this because i'm in danger again like this is our nervous system like wanting to run away wanting to fight wanting to you know kill the beast whatever it is um and in that mindset we only see danger like we only see the little things we only see what's going wrong we don't see solutions opportunities we don't see our own brilliance we don't see our untapped potential we don't see the resources we have available to us because we're so ungrounded and when you can embrace everything that is and just be okay with the discomfort and be okay with the fact that not everything's going perfectly for you right now and that you're still kind of awesome. From that point, it's so much easier to find solutions that work and to really take action. Because the truth is, there are things in our lives that many of us need to take massive action on. So for me, it was about building a home. I couldn't just wait it out. I couldn't just wait until I would find someone to build a home with, or I couldn't wait until my family started loving me, or I couldn't wait until somebody would pick me up off the street and give me a room to sleep in. I had to take massive action to make that happen. But it's hard to make shit happen when there's Um, negative self-talk in your mind when there is constantly a voice telling you that you suck, that you screwed up, that this situation is your fault, that you're never going to amount to anything, that the situation means that you're just not worthy of anything. It's so hard to see possibility and solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that you say it that way. So when you work with people today, a lot of times they come to you with particular, like you said earlier, logistics for their life. Like they're like, well, I really want to do this with my life, but this is standing in the way and I've got this going on and you help them to dive deeper into maybe some of the stories they tell themselves, some of the unprocessed emotions. And then after they work with that material inside of them, and they embrace more, miracles start to happen? Is that kind of how it works? Sometimes it feels that way, yeah. Sometimes it really feels that way. So what you said was spot on. This is exactly what I do. Um, All of my clients have projects and dreams and things that they desperately, enthusiastically, hungrily want to do. They all have talents and gifts and crazy, amazing ideas to manifest. Like they have just awesome, awesome things that they want to do. And oftentimes the bigger we dream and the closer we get to our destiny or our purpose or whatever we want to call it, the more resistance there is and the more we have to grow. And so in setting those goals and in trying to walk that path, 
usually our inner child speaks up or we need to learn to mentor ourselves. So we need to learn to be, to connect with our inner mentor or we need to um, embrace the warrior inside of us. So I do a lot of identity coaching as well. I work with archetypes, both with the goddess archetypes and with um, other archetypes like the warrior, the queen, the king, the scholar, the inner child, the inner parent, the inner mentor. These are images of parts of ourself that tend to speak up during phases where we grow a lot. And what's awesome is that um, is that we don't just talk or heal or try and fix you. We we. So what I desire for my clients is to have tangible outcomes out of the healing work that we do. So it's like, it's like you have a goal, you have a shitload of fear, we get rid of the fear, along with lots of other fears that you might have. It's healed for good. You feel a shift in energy. You feel so much more enthusiastic. You're able to speak up more. You're able to captivate more. You are enthusiastic about your ideas. You tell everyone. You take action. You don't care if it doesn't work out right away because you love what you're doing. It's so fulfilling. And so much is being healed on the way. And that's what I love. I love that we don't have to either take time to heal ourselves or take time to figure out the logistics of our lives. And I love when we can do it hand in hand and when our inner game and our outer game shifts in one sitting. Mm, that's so amazing. Beautifully said. Thank you. Well, we're about time for the quick fire round. Um, but before we do the quick fire round, I would like to give you the opportunity give you the opportunity to share two things. First of all, where can my audience find you, connect with you, and look into all the amazing stuff that you're you're doing online? And two, if there's anything else you'd like to share with everyone, please go for it. All right. So I think it's easiest for me, uh, for you, to stay in touch with me through my email list. I love, love, love writing emails. I'm totally obsessed with that, so you can get on my email list through my website, www.freespirited.co. I'm sure you can also find the link in the show notes, I suppose. Um, yeah, so get on my email list. I love writing emails. And if you feel like you're ready for life coaching, you can find all the infos for that on my website as well. Okay. And, and in terms of something, yeah, I'm thinking. So there is one thing I always want everyone to know. If I could just, you know, get everybody to listen on this planet, I would, like, this would be my message. And since I have your attention right now, I'm going to seize that opportunity. So what I would love for you to understand or to even maybe like try to understand in this moment is that there is so much more to you than you can see. And that is just a fact, like the brilliance, the talents, the enthusiasm, the creativity, the energy, the ideas that you carry in yourself. You haven't even seen it. You haven't even scratched the surface. There is so much more in you than you could ever, ever, ever imagine. Your brilliance is unlimited. It's just that sometimes the flow is restricted. And it's all about, you know, letting all of that flow, letting it out, letting it circulate. And just because not everything is flowing in your life right now doesn't mean that brilliance isn't in you. There is always, you're always so much more amazing than you can, than you can imagine in this moment. Love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Are you ready for the quick fire round? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Number one, what does body freedom mean to you? Body freedom means not looking in the mirror and feeling it. That's it. 
right. <laughs> Number two, what is a current book that you're reading or what is just a book that you love? Ah, uh, a book that I love is The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. Best book ever, ever. Oh, I've never heard of that. Can you like really quickly tell me what it's about? Yeah. So I love stories and fairy tales and fiction. And it's just a beautiful story. He's one of the best authors ever, in my opinion, at least. So um, it's about a little boy and he lives in a graveyard. He was adopted by ghosts and, and um, like werewolves and stuff. And he grows up on the graveyard and he he experiences a lot of funny things and adventures. And it's an it's an amazing adventure story. And you said it's called The Graveyard Story? The Graveyard Book by oh, Neil book. Gaiman. Okay, cool. Uh, next question. Who is one of your biggest inspirations, dead or alive? Mm-hmm. My biggest inspiration is, I feel it's my own coach. So my coach is Janine Yoder. She's my mentor. And she's been through so much. She, Her parents were were and are still drug addicts and she has like the storyline that I want. She just had a child and she is the happiest person I know and she's just so awesome and so compassionate. Can you share a good quote with us? Yeah. It's also from the graveyard book by Neil Gaiman. Um, Oh, man. It's so funny. Like when you ask me, mm-hmm. like my mind is blank. <laughs> Before that, I had it. Give me a second. I think I'm going to get it. So if you dare nothing, then at the end of the day, nothing is all you will have gained. Oh, I like that. It's a really good one. What is a future dream that you are working towards with, you know, your personal life, your business, traveling, anything? Mm, Treehouse. Every one of my friends knows that about me. Even my apartment right now, looking around, there's plants everywhere. There is wood. So much, um, like, things I collected in the forests and from my travels. Treehouse. I want to live in a beautiful treehouse close to the ocean. That's really cool. What is your favorite way to unwind at the end of a long day? Mm-hmm. Mm, uh, it's going to sound, okay, I'm not going to judge what I'm about to say. Um, I love singing Kirtan Kriyas. So I'm a huge student of Kundalini Yoga. And there are these amazing meditations where you sing songs and your entire body is like shaking and sweating and there is like your glands are firing up. It's amazing. It's like a million ants in your body and you're singing these beautiful, beautiful songs that have been sung by yogis like 40,000 years ago in the caves of the Himalayas. Like that is my favorite way to unwind. Oh, that's cool. Isn't it? Uh, yeah. Where do you find out about these songs? Yeah. So um, I think the easiest way for you to get to get your hands on that is um, there is a big Kundalini yoga teacher. Her name is Gurmuk. And um, she teaches in Los Angeles and in New York, I think. And her studio is called Golden Bridge Yoga. And they have an online yoga studio. And you can just sign up. It's pretty cheap. I think it's not even $20 a month. And they have all kinds of yoga practices, kriyas and songs. You know, you can just select meditations. And many of them have those singing meditations. And it's awesome. I can definitely send you the link so that you can publish it for the listeners. Yeah, please do. That's very cool. What is a country that you have visited and loved or a country that you really want to visit? Mm, Great Britain. I feel connected to Avalon, and I never really understood why. I I traveled to the south of England for the first time when I was, I think I was 14. It was a, scout, a trip with the Girl Scouts, and I remember, like, that was the first time when I felt okay. It was like a spiritual awakening. Um, I was just there, and I was okay, 
and I was happy for a week. And that was just so weird. And I went back home and like life started kicking in. Like I, I had no anxiety in the, like at that place, that physical place, like close to Avalon. And it was just amazing. Like that is my favorite place, favorite country ever. Mm. Awesome. I love it. All right. Well, that is it for the quick fire round. Uh, I, all I can say, Hannah, is thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was such a deep conversation and there's just so much, um, I don't know, I just feel very inspired by your story and I'm excited to publish this and get this up for everyone to listen to because you just have a lot of life that you've lived and you're, you're such a positive, optimistic, free-spirited person. And that's the kind of energy that I like to surround myself with. So I wish you were here in Colorado, basically, because that would be amazing. Uh, But thank you. Just thank you so much for coming on this show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I loved every minute of it. All right, everyone. If you want to get the show notes for this episode and head on over to all of her links, uh, you can go see that at maddiemoon.com slash mbm83. And over there, you'll see all the things me and Hannah talked about today. And while you're there, if you have not downloaded uh, my book, 10 Proven Steps for Ending Any Diet Obsession, you can do that. Also, just a little side note, I know many of y'all have been watching my latest YouTube videos, and they are now on my website, on the little tab, it says videos. So you can go over there, check out all the videos on my website now, which will take you to YouTube, so I guess over at YouTube. Um, But I'm also publishing them in blog posts so you can see them on the blog. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. I'll see you next week. Have a good one.